0: You're listening to a message that was recorded live at Roots Community Church in Costa Mesa, California. Roots exists to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about our community, visit us at rootschurch.net. We're going through the gospel of Matthew, if you're just joining us. And we find ourselves here in Matthew chapter 9, uh, beginning in verse 18. This is God's word to us. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched him or touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, then I'll be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And reports of this went throughout all the district. Verse 27, and as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, when he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. But they went away, verse 31, and spread his fame throughout all that district. Verse 32, as they were going away, behold, a demon oppressed man was mute and brought to him and when the demon was, had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisee said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. Beloved, this is God's word this morning. Please be seated. Well, as we have just read, we are continuing again in our study the Gospel of Matthew, and we come to yet another display of God's authority and compassion through His Son, Jesus Christ. Last week, if you were with us, we witnessed the disciples of John the Baptist bring this third wave of criticism against Christ. And this third wave of criticism came in the form of fasting, questions around fasting. They said, Jesus, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but you and your disciples do not fast? And in his answer to their question about fasting, Jesus essentially says to them, fasting is for those who are longing for something they don't have. And they're longing for something they don't have. Therefore, they're mourning because they don't have the thing that they're longing for. And therefore, the reason my disciples are not fasting is because they are right now in this very moment enjoying the long-awaited presence of Israel's promised husband. The bridegroom is with them. This is like a wedding feast. You don't fast at a wedding feast. You feast at a party. And so that's why my disciples are not fasting and are feasting is because the husband has come. The bridegroom is here. And so in response to their question about fasting, Jesus gives three parables, each of them to illustrate this newness, this surprising joy that comes in his arrival. The first, again, is the bridegroom of Israel that has come. That's why you don't fast when the bridegroom is here. Another reason is I've given a new garment, a new garment in Christ to put on, and and new wine that is fermenting with forgiveness and grace, new wine that is only designed for new wineskin. In short, Jesus is saying the age of the Messiah has come. All of the promises of the Old Testament have now caught up to the reality. The shadows have given way to the substance. The husband of Israel has come. And the newness of the new covenant has arrived. Now, following this exchange with John's disciples, Matthew now in our text this morning records a series, a wave of healings. So, after the waves of criticism, now we get this wave of healings that happen consecutively in Matthew's gospel. And in each of these healings, Jesus is displaying in real time the newness of his kingdom. In other words, what was taught in parable is now displayed in action. As another writes, now in these healings, new sight is given to the blind. This is the newness of the kingdom, the newness of the new covenant. New sight is given to the blind, new speech for the mute, new health for the sick, new life for the dead. That's what the newness of Jesus means, and that's what these miracles are meant to point to. In other words, beloved, there is no half measures with Jesus. No shadows, no patchwork, no sewing patches onto old garments. No, instead, new life in Christ is the offer. This is the offer, new life, newness. Maybe you come in here this morning and you are just aching, for the newness. You are tired. You keep putting on the old garments and sewing small patches to it. You keep trying to pour wine, new wine into old wineskin and everything is just bursting apart and you're dying for something new. Christ's offer to you this morning is himself. And so the most fundamental question we could ever ask ourselves in all of life is this. How can one access this new life? How do you access it? Another way to say this is, what makes Jesus accessible? What makes him accessible in order to receive this new life that is offered in the new covenant? And so to answer those questions or that fundamental question, let's look at these four healings in consecutive order and answer that question, what makes Jesus accessible? The first movement in the text is two healings. And I've I've entitled this first movement, Two Daughters. And you'll see why in just a moment. But this first set of healings comes in verses 18 to 26. Entitled this section, Two Daughters. Look at verse 18. And when he was saying these things to them, that's when he is dealing with the criticism from John's disciples. When he's saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My, my daughter has just died. My daughter has just died, but, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Verse 19, And Jesus rose and followed him and his disciples. From Mark's account and Luke's account, we find out that this ruler has a name. His name is Jairus. And he is a ruler of a synagogue, a Jewish synagogue in the area. We also come to find out that he is a wealthy man. He has a lot of influence and a lot of resources, which would have made his kneeling before Jesus a, a, a humbling event for him. This is a man in authority. This is a ruler. This is a man who's wealthy. And so he humbles himself and he kneels before Christ. And that word knelt in in the Greek is translated knelt here, but it's actually pretty weak. It's the word proskaneo. And it means to worship or adore. And so this is not someone who's sort of casually kneeling before Christ. This is someone who who is adoring him, worshiping him. And so he falls down at Jesus's feet and he says, my daughter has just died, but Come and lay your hand on her and she will live. I want you to notice the expectant faith of Jairus. My daughter has just died, but... Who, who, who has ever talked like that in your life? I just had a funeral for my loved one. They just died, but... However... Death is not like that, we're told. Death is supposed to be final. There's no death but. There's death. Jairus understood something. Imperfectly, he understood something of Christ's authority. That if this was the promised husband of Israel, then that means that this promised husband is the promised maker of heaven and earth. And if he's the maker of heaven and earth, then he has power even over dead things. My daughter is dead, but if you touch her, she'll live. And by faith, he falls down before Christ and asks Jesus to do the impossible thing, raise her. And to this point, Jesus has done some remarkable miracles, but he's never raised the dead. He hasn't raised the dead up until this point. So this would have been shocking to hear this request. And notice Jesus' reaction with me. Look at verse 19. And Jesus rose and followed him. Does that strike any of you as odd? Jesus rose and followed him. Up until this point, everyone's following Jesus. Jesus is calling his disciples Matthew, follow me. The crowd is following Jesus. Those who want to be healed are following Jesus. Jesus is the leader. Everyone else is following. But here is the first instance we have in Matthew's Gospel where Jesus follows someone. Frederick Brunner writes this, quote, Where faith comes, Jesus follows. Where faith comes, Jesus follows. And he follows willingly and immediately. Jesus is compelled. He is compelled when people display confidence in him. He cannot help himself. It didn't matter that Jairus was a rich man with great influence. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. Doesn't matter to Jesus doesn't matter that Jairus was a ruler. All that mattered to Jesus is that Jairus believed Jesus was who he said he was. And so Jesus stands up and follows him home. Wherever faith comes, Jesus follows. Now on his way to visit Jairus' daughter, Jesus is approached by another daughter. Look at verse 20 and following. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him, behind Jesus, and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned, verse 22, and seeing her said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. So you've got to get the scene in your, in, your, in your minds. There's this hustling and bustling crowd that is following Jesus to go see this thing that he says he's going to do, which is raise the dead. And as he's walking on his way to Jairus' daughter, a woman sneaks up behind him. This woman suffered from a menstrual hemorrhage that lasted for 12 years. This constant bleeding would have made her ceremonially unclean, meaning she can't go to church. She can't go to the synagogue. She can't go to the temple and make sacrifices. She can't let her praise be known among God's people. She's unclean. She is most likely outcasted by society and therefore alone, alone in her affliction. And so she sneaks up behind Jesus in the hustle and bustle of the crowd, and she reaches out. She has the courage to reach out and grab the fringe of his robe. And Mark tells us that in the middle of this crowd and this hustle and bustle, Jesus stops walking. He stops walking. And he turns around and he says, who touched me? And Jesus' disciples say, well, that's That's laughable. Jesus, everyone's touching you. (laughs) Literally, we're in a crowd. You're getting bumped around. Everybody wants to be near you. Everyone's touching you. And he says, no, no, no. I want to know who touched me. There was a different kind of touch that happened in that moment. There was a touch of desperate faith, not impressive faith. It seems this woman was a little superstitious, thinking that if she just touched his clothes, then she could be healed. Her Christology wasn't fully developed. She didn't know that his words had the power in them. She thought maybe just his robe would do it. Her theology was not impressive. But Jesus turns to her and says, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Beloved, let me just say this. What impresses Jesus is not our systematic theologies. how much you know about him. Believe me, those things are important. But it's not what impresses him. Jesus, I'm discovering, the more I know, the more I read, the more I am convinced that Jesus is moved when we become like little children and trust him when we collapse in his arms because he's the only safe place we know. And so Jesus looks at her with her superstitious faith, her weak theology, her weak Christology, and he says, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Speaking of little children, after Jesus heals his daughter, who had the hemorrhage, he continues on to Jairus' home to raise Jairus' daughter. Look at verse 23. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, I'll stop, just one quick remark. This is how we know Jairus had coin. Even if you were poor, you would have to hire mourners, but you i don 't know you'd have to do that, get j v mourners or whatever in you know the cheaper version of mourners, but you'd have to hire them so that they would be at your house crying just in case the people that actually loved the the loved one who passed away stopped. You would always have mourning but here gyrus has got a band he's got flute players he 's got professional mourners, and there is a commotion in in the greek there's just there is just It's just out of control, weeping and wailing and music. And notice what Jesus says. He says, go away. (laughs) Do you expect that of him? Go away. Here's what we're learning, aren't we? Jesus hates religious spectacles. He loves authentic faith. But he hates religious spectacles. And so he tells the crowd, go away, go away. He said, this girl is not dead, but sleeping. (laughs) A roar of laughter. They laughed at him. Did he try to convince them? No, no, really, really, let me me tell you what I'm going to... No, he just doesn't say anything. When the crowd had been put outside... He went in and took her by the hand. Now we learn from Mark's gospel also that Jesus invited the parents in, Jairus and his wife, and Peter, James, and John. That's it. Everybody else is outside. And he leans down and he says those most tender words in, in all of the gospels, Talithikumi, little girl, little lamb, rise. And the girl arose. Verse 26, and the report of this went through all that district. When Jesus said that the little girl was not dead but sleeping, Jesus in that moment was not denying the fact that her body had expired. Instead, as another writes, Jesus wasn't denying her death, he was redefining it. In fact, beloved, from a biblical perspective, sleeping is a metaphor for death because the Bible teaches that all who trust in the Lord, who put their trust, their faith in Jesus Christ will be raised on the last day. Just as you lay down and fall asleep tonight only to wake the next day, so it is as, we, as our bodies expire in this life, we can expect those bodies to rise again and to begin living. And so sleeping is a metaphor for death. It's redefining death. She is not dead, but she is sleeping. Well, after the healing of the two daughters, now comes the healing of two blind men. Again, Jesus is now displaying the newness of the new covenant. New life, new beginnings, and now new sight. Two blind men. Look at verse 27. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were open. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that nobody knows about it. Now look at what these guys do. Verse 31. But they went away and spread his, va- his fame throughout all the district. If Jairus and the woman with the hemorrhage were an example of expectant and desperate faith, then these two blind men, listen, are an example of persistent faith. Notice they were following Jesus. They are following him. Son of David, have mercy on us. I don't know if someone's helping them walk or they're just following the noise of the crowd, but they're following behind Jesus. Son of David, have mercy on us. And apparently Jesus kept walking. Because we find out that Jesus enters a home and these two blind men follow in to the home right behind him saying the same thing. Son of David, have mercy on us. And then Jesus turns to them and asks them a very personal question. Do you believe that I am able to do this? He doesn't say, do you believe Do you believe in the theory of healings? Do you you believe in in sort of the the God who heals? Do you believe, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they replied, yes, Lord. Yes, Koryos. Yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. This is persistent faith. It reminds me of, of Jacob when Jacob's wrestling with the Lord. I will not let you go until you bless me. Son of David, have mercy on me. He's not turning around. The crowd hasn't stopped. I think he went into a house. Let's go into the house. Son of David, have mercy on me. Listen, these men got access to Jesus. Why? Because they kept believing he was their only hope. And notice how unpolished they are. They are unimpressive the very first thing they do after they are healed by the living Christ is they disobey him. Like this is not not a great example, right? It's not like, hey, be like the two blind men. As soon as Jesus comes into your life and touches your life, then just go disobey him. This is unimpressive faith. But notice Jesus was not waiting for them to be impressive before he would heal them. What gives us access to the living Christ? The woman with the hemorrhage, a little superstitious, a nascent theology, weak Christology. These men ask for a healing, get a healing, and the first thing they do is, do is disobey him. This account, in no way, is a license for disobedience to Christ but it is another testimony of the kind of people that have access to Jesus. They weren't fully mature after their encounter with Christ. Dear saint, if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, please remember that. Please remember that as people come to Christ, as come to the Lord, that they don't become fully sanctified when they first come to Jesus that there's a whole life process of growing into what it means to be a Christian. These men simply recognized Jesus for who he was and they pursued him in desperation. They knew they needed him. Now following our fourth and final healing, we'll discover how you can remain blind Following our fourth and final healing, we'll discover how you can remain blind to Jesus even when you see his power and authority. So how can you remain blind to Jesus even if you see his power and authority? Look at verses 32 and 34 as we close. As they were going away, behold, here's the fourth healing, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. But, verse 34, the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. Beloved, in all four of these accounts, faith in Jesus is at the absolute center. This is what Matthew wants us to see, that trust in, reliance upon, confidence in Jesus is at the absolute center of what makes him accessible. What makes Jesus accessible? Faith. Faith. And here, following the final healing of this section, Matthew wants us to see that faith in Jesus is a matter of the heart and not dependent upon what you see with your own eyes. The crowd marveled because nothing like this had ever been done in Israel. The the crowd is fickle. They marveled. But the Pharisees, who saw the healing with their own eyes, they saw it, scoffed, and said, Oh, he, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. The Pharisees, they, they saw the woman who had the 12-year hemorrhage get healed. They, they saw Jairus' daughter playing with the other kids after she was raised to life. Surely you would think that would be enough. I know I would think that if I saw someone who was, who was dead, dead, who was dead, and I was playing with the other kids, I would say, case closed, I'm, I'm in. I'm, I'm all the way in. Many of you today might say, if I could just see the miracles with my own eyes, then I would trust in him. Then I would be all his. This is not the testimony of the Bible. It is not the testimony of the New Testament. Many saw his miracles, many, and still remained hardened against him. And the irony here is so palpable, isn't it? These two totally blind men could see Jesus more clearly than the Pharisees who weren't blind. And they're following him, following his voice into homes. John nine thirty one. Jesus said this. For judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see, those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Beloved, seeing Jesus, trusting in Jesus, relying upon Jesus requires more than your five senses it requires more it requires the holy spirit's gift of need given to you remember bruner's quote from last week faith lives under one the one great compulsion the determination to get into the presence of jesus why why is faith the compulsion, the determination to get into the presence of Jesus? Because one becomes utterly convinced deep down in their soul that they need Him. If you don't feel that you need Him, His miracles will do nothing for you, but maybe wow you for an afternoon. But if the Holy Spirit has given you the gift of need, that he doesn't have to do a miracle in front of you. He doesn't have to do backflips and tricks for you. You know you need him. This discovery is not natural to our five senses. This gift of need is a gift of the Holy Spirit. I fully believe that you're not born with this. You are given this. This is why This is why the Pharisees, this is why Judas can just see miracle after miracle after miracle, and it's nothing. Nothing's resonating. It's not hitting me. I don't need him. I don't need him. But in every one of these instances of healing, what do you have at the absolute center? Faith and need. Need and faith. I need Jesus. I want to sneak through the back of the crowd. I'm going to touch his garments I'm going to follow him into a house I don't know. I'm going to cut a hole through a roof. Why? Because I need him. Some need him and some don't need him. Why? I don't know. (laughs) The Holy Spirit brings about in our hearts a disposition a disposition that makes Jesus resonate with you. He resonates. I remember. I think I've said this. I remember being a kid and just like changing the channel on the TV, and I'm like, Lord, if I if I change this channel and it's it's you know the word Jesus is mentioned, then I'll believe. You know, uh, if I if I if it's a if it's a full moon tonight. Then I'm in, you know, just sort to like playing this sort of, and, he, and the Lord is so gracious, right, to deal with us and all, all with all of that. But there's nothing like when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and in you and gives you a disposition in your heart that you need him. He doesn't have to do flips for you. The healing is just grace upon Grace. And just like we learned this morning, and I'll close with this, that kind of faith does not have to be impressive. The woman with the hemorrhage was a little superstitious. The two blind men were disobedient immediately after following their healing. Faith in Jesus is often weak and frail. And as we've learned before, it is not the strength of our faith that saves us. It is the strength of the object of our faith, namely Jesus Christ, that saves us. So friends, if you are here, especially if you're new and you're just leaning in, maybe again to this whole religious Christian thing, do not wait to come to him until you are all polished and ready. That day will never come. The law says you will never be ready and holy enough to come to him. And likewise, don't think to yourself, unless I see him raise the dead or I see some miraculous thing, then I will come. There's no guarantee of that. Instead, if the Holy Spirit has made you aware right now of your need for him, then throw yourself upon him collapse into his arms like a child, not like a scholar, like a child, collapses into the arms of their father, into their parents' arms, and says, Jesus, I don't know what it is, but I fully need you. I'm tired of toning for my own sins. I'm tired of this cul-de-sac of returning to the same thing over and over and over again. I need you. I need you. And you know what? Jesus cannot help himself when that kind of posture is given. He can't help himself. He follows faith. He will carry you. He will sustain you. He will give you sight. And he will give you, ultimately, he will give you life in him. Those are the people who have access to Jesus. Let me pray. Father, Grant, I pray, that kind of posture. Whether we are the rich gyruses, or we are the poor blind men, or we are bleeding out and suffering alone, wherever we are in the spectrum of life, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would produce in us a disposition of need for Jesus, that Jesus, you would resonate deep within us. And as a result, we'd follow you wherever you go. We'd cast our lives upon you, become all in with you. I pray this in Jesus' good name, amen.